Hey, Grace Church, my name is Sean Sears. I'm the lead pastor here. I want to th- say thanks for coming. Uh, I know there's a lot of other good churches in the area, and I know I say this a lot, but I say it because it's true. Um, it's an honor to us that you would choose to be here this weekend uh, with, with Grace Church. So thank you very much for coming. Uh, we are wrapping up a series that we've called Scorecard. Uh, the idea behind it, and by the way, it's the longest series that I think we've ever done. It's nine, nine weeks long. Uh, a few years ago, we did a series on Romans, and we did one chapter at a time. There's 16 chapters uh, in the book of Romans. So rather than doing a 16-week series, we thought that that would be too much. We broke up the book of Romans into two different years. We did eight and eight. So this being the ninth week of this series makes this now officially the longest series I think we've ever done uh, at Grace Church. Uh, the idea behind this series, I'll say one last time, uh, is that we keep track of everything else that's important to us in our lives, except the thing that we say is the most important thing to us, which is our relationship uh, with God, our spiritual development. You keep track of, uh, probably, like if you have investments, uh, you get a statement at least once a year from whoever manages that for you, that tells you uh, what you what how your how your retirement is doing. Uh, you turn that in probably with your taxes if you do your taxes. Right? Uh, you keep track of your hours at work. You keep track of your grades. You keep track of whether or not your roommate is paying their share of the rent. Can I get an amen? Right? You keep track of uh, you, you keep track of all kinds of stuff. You keep track of receipts, un- unless you don't. Um, you keep you keep track of uh, all. You, you keep track of your gas in your car. I mean, we've the, we've got something that measures everything. That's the heat in your motor. Like you've got gauges for everything that's important to us except our relationship our relationship with God and what God's trying to do in our life. The, the idea behind this entire series comes from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that says that we are God's masterpiece uh, created in Christ Jesus for uh, good, good deeds that he prepared for us uh, long, long ago. Um, and this masterpiece, if you are uh, a, a devoted follower of Jesus, if God's Holy Spirit is in you, um, then God will begin working in your life to, to make changes. And these are things that I, I change about myself so that God will love me, so that God's Holy Spirit will, will be with me. It's not a, a, a list of check of boxes that we have to check. And if we get all nine checked, uh, then we get to go to heaven uh, when, when we die. It's, it's not like that at all. It's just if, you, if you're adopted, I got a friend of mine named Keith who's adopting a kid uh, right now from another country. Uh, and this is like the third kid that he's adopting. And, and when you adopt a kid uh, into your home, uh, you don't expect that child to automatically like totally get the culture of your family, but you do expect that that kid begin to grow into the culture of your family. That's just the way that it goes. Uh, if you're a parent and you give birth to a child and you're a natural born child and you've got other children, like you're not expecting that baby on day one to be able to feed itself and to respect the rules or the guidelines or the, the vibe of our family, but that is something that you expect as that kid begins to grow up. And it's not like that kid has to do all of these things so that you will love that child, um, uh, uh, it may maybe to want to hang out with that child more often. I'm just saying, like, but that child's automatically yours, and and love for that child is unconditional. But it's because you love this child, and because they are yours, that you have an agenda for this kid. And 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 I'm not. There's no way in the world that I'm a better parent to my three kids than God is going to be to you. So He doesn't expect you to be 
Mother Teresa on day one or, or Billy Graham on, on day one. But he does have an agenda that you should be able to notice changes happening in your life as you start to become this person that God has planned you to be. As, as you start to realize the agenda that God has for your life. And I, and I know that not everybody here at Grace Church is, is on board with God yet. And, and we're okay with that. Wherever you're at in your relationship with God, I feel like this, this church is a safe place for you to begin exploring that relationship uh, to see if this is something that you, you want or not, I believe. Because uh, the scripture says that God, God w- would be willing to adopt you into his household, but he's not going to drag you. He's not going to force you. God, doesn't, God will chase after you. And, and I, I had a pastor say this one time, if you run, ran a thousand steps a- away from God, uh, God would run 999, right? But, but you, you have to be the one that, that turns around. And we looked at that verse last week where it said that if you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Because like, you don't have to come, like, he's just right there. But you do have to stop running. You've got to stop running from God and, and turn to him, right? But then when you turn to God, he adopts you into his, into his family. And then, and then he begins, like any good parent, to help you become a person that fits in with his, his family, to be more like him. I, mean, I don't want my kids to be exactly like me, but I do hope my kids share my values. You know what I mean? And, and in the same way, God's trying to get you to adopt the values that he intends, intends for you also. So we broke up this series of nine different attributes of somebody who's becoming more like the person God intended them to be um, into three different categories. We said the first three uh, were ways in which God was calling you to live your life as an expression of love toward him. And, and toward your fellow man. Uh, we said the second uh, three, the, the second three attributes that you should be able to see in your life uh, would, be, would be ways in which God was calling you to leverage your life uh, in service uh, to him and to others. And then we said in the last three weeks that we'd be looking at the attributes uh, that you need to adopt if you're going to be the kind of person who, who prepares themselves to grow into the person that God's called. Because like there's, there's, there's a passive part of this and there's an active part of this. I mean, the passive part of it for my children is, is that the bills are going to be paid for. Like that's, that's passive. Um, the, the passive part is, is where we go on vacation. The active part is whether or not they make this trip on our vacation miserable or not. Like they, they have a part to play. They can, they can run away from home, right? I mean, like there's, there's things that they, they are in control of and there's things that they're not in control of. And that's the same thing about our relationship with God. So in these last three weeks, we said there's things that you can do that to cooperate with what God's trying to do in your life, and there's ways in which you could resist it. So today we come to the last one, um, uh, which is that, that you should. One of the attributes of somebody who's becoming the person God intends them to be is that you start to take responsibility uh, to be an encourager. That you you recognize that the way that I live my life influences people around me, right? And it's not about me being true to myself anymore. Uh, because if everybody was just true to themselves, this whole world would be full of selfish jerks, right? And I think that's, that's part of the problem. Uh, but I have a responsibility uh, to uh, pe- people around me, and uh, that's what we're talking about. So when you sat down, uh, you should have received uh, this last and final checkup card. You don't turn these in at all, uh, but I will invite you to take notes on the back side. At the end of the teaching, you can write down maybe a few of the things that you're going to do, like a couple of next steps 
as a result of, of today's teaching so that you can actually put the teaching in, into practice. On the front, uh, we've got a theme verse for today's teaching. It comes from Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17. It says, as iron sharpens iron, uh, so a friend uh, sharp sharpens a, a friend. So the idea behind this is that uh, we help our friends grow in their relationship with God and, and their relationship with others. That, that I have a responsibility to help others grow in their relationship uh, with God and others. And the truth is, I need to be open to the idea that there should be people I'm allowing into my life and to give access to uh, the tougher places of my life um, so that they can help me become the person uh, I need to be. No, nobody, you've heard this, nobody's an island to themselves. Uh, and there's nobody who's a self-made man. Uh, nobody's a self-made woman. I mean, I don't care who you are. You could be at the top of your game. Uh, even, even uh, you know, uh, 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 Tiger Woods, uh, uh, Spieth, Jordan Spieth, uh, the best golfers in the world uh, have, have, have coaches, right? Like they, they have people who watch their game and they've given permission to speak into their game. Right? Like there's like even though like they are better athletes than the people they've allowed into their lives, they recognize they have blind spots. And they know that if they're going to get better at playing the game that they've given their life to, that they need to be open to uh, sharing their game with somebody else. Regardless of whether or not that person can compete at their level, they allow people to speak into the way they perform uh, at their level because they know that that's the only way they're going to get better. At, at playing the game. Uh, Oprah has, has mentors, right? Um, like, like everybody has, I don't know why I brought up Oprah. She's just like, she's an awesome leader, right? But I'm just saying everybody, everybody has, has mentors um, on, on the way up, and, and it's actually a biblical principle. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. Uh, the three guys that we're looking at uh, are, are you, you find the first one, uh, excuse me, not even the first one chronologically, doesn't matter. There's three guys, I'll just give you their names. Uh, Barnabas, Paul and, and Timothy. And if, you're, if you've been re religious or you were raised in church, you went to CCD, uh, you don't even have to be religious for Paul, the Apostle Paul, right? Like St. Paul's Cathedral. Like we've all heard of, of St. Paul. He's probably the biggest celebrity uh, in the New Testament outside of Jesus. And, and maybe the only other person that might be more famous than, than Paul would, would be Peter. But outside of Jesus and Peter, I don't know if there's anybody uh, you know, in Christian history more famous than the Apostle Paul. Uh, but Paul, uh, you know, he had somebody um, who kind of brought him along. And that guy's name is, is Barnabas. Um, and we're going to read about Barnabas. So Barnabas is the guy who, uh, he's not, of the three guys we're looking at today, Paul, Barnabas, and, and Timothy, Barnabas is probably the least well-known. Uh, Timothy, probably the second most well-known. And the only reason why uh, I, I say that is because Timothy has two books in the New Testament named after him. They were letters that the Apostle Paul had actually written to him. And they, so we, we call those the, the first letter to Timothy and the, the second letter to Timothy. So we call them first and second Timothy. Um, or as some people would say, two Timothy maybe. But uh, there's two letters in the New Testament uh, that were written to Timothy that bear his name. Paul was the one who had written them. But Paul and Timothy would have never shown up in Christian history uh, without, without this guy, uh, Barnabas, who, who's uh, definitely the, the least well-known. But what makes their relationship, what makes these guys, uh, I think, a perfect example of the attribute uh, that we're talking about today, uh, has nothing to do with church. Has nothing to do with church services is what, is what I mean by that. Like everything you read about, I, I'd say, 
90% of the stuff you read about Paul uh, in the Christian New Testament is stuff about him that happened in between the weekends. Uh, that's, that's what makes Paul famous, is the stuff that happened in between. Uh, same thing with Timothy. Same thing with Barnabas. The reason why these guys are great heroes of the faith had nothing to do with, with, with sermons in, in church services. It had everything to do with the relationship that these three guys had uh, with, with each other outside of church. And, and these relationships, I believe, are something that God's calling, uh, not just to Christian heroes, but anybody who's a follower of Jesus who intends to grow in their relationship with God and make a difference in the world. I, like I, I've got to believe that there's something in you that recognizes that, that you're meant for more than just you, right? Like, have you ever, uh, maybe this is just me, I, I was actually, that Keith guy who's adopting, we, we were talking this weekend, and, and it came up uh, that, that he and I both, and we all do, we get, we get into down times, right? Like, you, you got great times, and you got bad times, and you got, you know, not, not, I'm not going to make up depressive, maybe, but there are times when you get below the average, right? Like, you, you dip below the, the radar, and then there's times when you're ab- above the radar, and, and then in these times when you, when you, when you dip below, uh, we struggle, and, and we need each other uh, to, to pull, e- pull each other out, and, and that's the kind of stuff we're talking about today. So if, you, if you've got your Bible, we're going to start off in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Now, at this place uh, in, in the story of the book of Acts, and by the way, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four different narratives of the life of Jesus told from different perspectives. They've got different details in each of them, uh, which is really cool. Not all of the stories are repeated in all of the books, uh, but some of them are. And when you can find one of the stories in one of the, we call them the Gospels or the story of the life of Jesus, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's repeated in another book. Uh, You can read the same story and get different details and get a more full picture, uh, which is awesome. And then after Jesus leaves, ascends to heaven, sit at the right hand of God the Father, the Bible says then, then he hands this mission of bringing the news that God was here to rescue anybody that would repent of their personal sin to begin following uh, after the ways of Jesus, the only one that God sent on our behalf. The only person who's ever lived who kept the Ten Commandments on our behalf and then took our punishment from God for breaking them. Like, he's, he's the only one. No Messiah in any religion claims to have done that. Jesus is, is the, the only one. And, and then he says, now I want you to go into all the rest of the world. Then this isn't just for the Jews anymore. This is for, this is for everybody. Anybody who will turn from their brokenness, their disobedience towards God, their selfishness towards others, and will accept that my death, burial, and resurrection fully satisfies everything necessary for them to be made right with God, can be made right with God if they would repent of their sins and follow after me. And make sure everybody gets an opportunity to know this. The book of Acts, which is the fifth book in the Christian New Testament, is the story of everything that happens over the next 50 years. And in that book, we find the story of this guy named Paul. Now, Paul uh, actually wasn't, didn't go by Paul whenever he was in Jerusalem. Uh, he was raised in, in Israel. He was a Jewish kid who was raised in another city. Uh, actually, he was raised in, in Tarsus, and that was a, a Roman city. Um, so there, he was a Roman citizen who also happened to be Jewish. So he had like a, a name that he went by around his Roman friends. Uh, and then whenever he would be uh, in Jerusalem... Like around all of his Jewish family and friends, he had like his, his Jewish name. So when he, was, when he was up in Tarsus around all the Romans, he didn't go by his Jewish name, uh, Saul. He went by the name of 
Paul. Uh, but whenever he was in Jerusalem, he went by the name of Saul. So he becomes an adult, and, and he climbs up the ranks of Judaism uh, to sit on the high council. The high council was called, uh, they were Pharisees, and the high council was called the Sanhedrin. And, and Paul was like one of these, excuse me, Saul was one of these rising stars. So you see him at the beginning of the story uh, going by Saul. And every time he's hanging out with Jewish friends, he, he goes by Saul. And there's a point in his life where he says, you know what? I've, I've, there's plenty of people to tell the Jews about their own Messiah. I feel like God's called me to everybody who wasn't raised in Judaism. I, I feel like God's called me to the rest of the Romans. And from then on, it says that Saul, also known as Paul, so his name wasn't changed. It was Saul who was also known as Paul, starts going by the name Paul. So if you hear me, if I, if I slip and I say Saul or Paul, it's actually the same guy. Like I said, he had, he had his Jewish name and he had his, 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 his Roman name. Uh, but it's, it's the same guy. So, uh, but at, at this point, Saul has now been commissioned to represent the Jewish high council and squash this movement that's spreading rapidly uh, around the teaching that Jesus was the rescuer of all mankind, the promised Messiah that he had resurrected from the dead, which threatened their Jewish way of life, at least the way that they were making money uh, through the, the temple. And we've talked about that before. We're not going to go into that now. If, if you're curious, send me an email, sean at thatsgrace.org, and, and I'm happy to give you the, the rest of, of that story. Uh, but he, he's been charged with leaving Jerusalem and going to all the different outlying communities and either bring these followers of Jesus to justice or, or kill them. Uh, in fact, the very first person who's ever murdered uh, because he would not change the story that he had seen Jesus resurrected from the dead, was put to death by this guy Saul. Like he was in charge of the very first martyr in the history of Christianity, this Jewish guy named Stephen. That's, that's also in the, in the book of Acts. So Saul now is on his way to Damascus because he'd found out about a community of Jesus' followers up there that were spreading, and more and more Jews were starting to accept the testimony of the eyewitnesses that had seen Jesus resurrected from the dead. His job is to squash this gathering either uh, by intimidation, by arrest, or by execution. And on his way there, uh, he receives some type of an intervention. This doesn't happen often in the Bible. When I think of people who had an intervention, a direct contact by God, it's a very few number of people in the whole Bible, uh, like Abraham. God came to Abraham and said, if you leave her of the Chaldees and go where I show you, then through you all the nations of the world will be blessed. It's through your family that I'll bring the rescuer. That's what God had said to Abraham. Uh, and like, like Abraham, Saul has God himself come to him and say, bro, stop. <laughs> That's what God said. God said, bro, what are you doing? Uh, stop. Like, stop, right? And then, like, he, he, he's blinded, and, and, and then he, he repents. Like, obviously, it's Jesus. He sees Jesus uh, at the right hand of the Father, telling him, you're, you're, you're working against God here. You need to stop. He, he repents of his sin. He becomes a devoted follower of Jesus, but, he, but he's blinded by this. And he's got to go into the city of Damascus and find a guy named Ananias who will pray over him and heal him, and he'll receive his sight again. Ananias, though, is a Jewish guy who's a part of this church community that Saul has come to murder. And they all know Saul's on the way. So they've kind of gone underground. 
And when, when God tells Ananias, there's a man named Saul who's going to come to you and you're supposed to let him stay at your house. <laughs> and Ananias is like, you sure about that? Like, I don't, like, I don't, is this God talking to me or is this bad pizza? I'm not exactly sure right now. And he actually argues with God over this. So Saul has an intervention where it's God himself saying, stop it. And Ananias has an intervention and it's God saying, this dude's coming to your house. And he really has. Like, this is genuine conversion. This isn't like some sneaky way of like, 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 because they, like, they thought he was a spy. And, and so Ananias heals him. He starts preaching now from the Jewish Bible how Jesus really is the Messiah. And he shows them all the Jewish scriptures that talk about the Messiah having to suffer for the sins of all of mankind. Shows them like verses like, like Psalm chapter 22 where the scripture says that the Messiah would be pierced in his hands and his feet. Like that, that was written 850 years before they even invented crucifixion. Like there's all kinds of... Then Psalm chapter 10 that said that he would be, he, the Messiah would die but that the Messiah wouldn't be dead long enough to see corruption, that he wouldn't, like he wouldn't start to, like he wouldn't rot. Like all of these verses, there's, there's 308 different verses that give very detailed, like, like, like directions, uh, uh, like indications of, of who the Messiah is. This is what Paul's preaching. He's using the Jewish Bible to convert more Jewish people to follow after the ways of their Jewish Messiah, Jesus. So then the Jews are the ones that end up throwing Saul out of Damascus, not the Jewish followers of Jesus, but the Jews who were resisting Jesus were the ones who kick him out. Well, he's got nowhere to go, right? So the only place he knows to go to is back to Jerusalem. But he's now a devoted follower of Jesus. He's not going to go back to the Sanhedrin because they'll execute him. So he don't know where, where to go, where to go. Uh, and that's where we pick up the story in Acts chapter 9, verse 26. So when Saul arrived in Jerusalem... He tried to meet with the believers, uh, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe that he had truly become a, a believer. And that is the mo that, that's an unbelievably believable detail of the story, right? Isn't that exactly what you, like if you're, if you're James and John and Peter and you're in Jerusalem and the Sanhedrin's trying to kill you also, and then now all of a sudden, like their head executioner, who has letters from the Sanhedrin that give him legal permission to haul your butt outside the city and hit you with rocks until you die, knocks on your church door and says, hey, can you guys let me in? No. Uh, what, what do you want in for? I want to pray with you. Sure you do. <laughs> no, 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 really. Like, I'm following Jesus now. Right, you're following Jesus now. Right? Like, there's no way in the world they're going to let them in. So that's like, so they're, they're not letting them in church. Like, nobody will meet with them. It's not like, hey, I'll meet you at Panera. Like, where there's like tons of people watching around. Right? Because they're, they're not going to meet them at Panera. They're not going to meet them at Starbucks. They're not going to meet them at, at Donkeys. They're not going to meet them anywhere at all. Everybody's hiding from, everybody's hiding from the sky. Uh, next verse, verse 27. Then Barnabas, uh, uh, the man of encouragement brought him to the apostles. It, it took somebody else. It took somebody else vouching for him. Now, this isn't the first mention of Barnabas. You actually find Barnabas in the last three verses, the, very, the first time he's ever mentioned, his name isn't even Barnabas. His name is Joseph. Joseph of Cyprus. Who's ever heard of Joseph of Cyprus? 
Joseph of Cyprus is a devoted follower of Jesus whose life has radically changed when he comes to understand from the scriptures and from the evidence. They didn't have the New Testament at that time, but from the evidence that Jesus really had resurrected from the dead. Knowing what the Jewish Bible has to say about the Messiah, and then talking to everybody who actually knew Jesus, homeboy was able to add two plus two and equal Jesus, right? He becomes a devoted follower of Jesus. And in Acts chapter 4, he becomes this fully devoted follower of Jesus. He's all in. Like he's, I'm giving the rest of my life to this, regardless of what it costs or where it takes me. There's needs, there's stuff that needs to be done. He sells his property back in Cyprus. Like that's, that's like burning the ships. I'm all, like I am all, there's nothing to go back to now. He sells all of his property, his estate on Cyprus, and he gives that to the local church for the purpose of God's kingdom purposes through that church, whatever they're going to do with it. And that's where he's mentioned, Joseph of Cyprus. But they called him Barnabas. Now in Jewish culture, I don't know if it's this way now, I don't think it is, but in those days, things happened and you were named based on an attribute or something that happened in history. For instance, Abraham and Sarah uh, had, had a, a, uh, a na son named Isaac. And when, when they found out that they were going to be pregnant, God had told them, by this time next year, you're going to have a baby. The Bible says that Sarah laughed. So she named her son, I laughed. Right? His name is Isaac. Isaac means laughter. Right? Isaac uh, has a son, uh, has two sons, twins. Uh, he and his wife, Rebecca, have twins. And their name were Jacob and Esau. Jacob... Uh, was, uh, came, like when, when Esau was pulled out of the womb, uh, Jacob was hanging on to his ankle. And they called him the, the, the trickster, the usurper, the one who's trying to take the firstborn's place. So since Jacob came out as a baby hanging on to his brother's foot, they called him the boy who tried to take his brother's place. And that means that, that's, that's Jacob. Esau, when he comes out, was red and hairy, they named him red and hairy, which is what Esau means. Are you with me? Jesus, when he sees Simon, says, you have courage, and you're, un you're like, you're stubborn, like a rock. I'm going to call you little rock, which is Peter. Peter was not Peter's name. Like, his name is Simon. But it was very acceptable in Jewish culture that if you grew up and took on the attributes of another name, you could start going by that other name. That was Barnabas. His name is Joseph of Cyprus. But he came this guy, he became this guy who was like, like, he was the guy that everybody loved. And if you didn't like Barnabas, it's because you were the jerk. It wasn't him. You ever met somebody like that? My wife's like that. She makes me sick. Everybody loves her, right? Like me, you either like me or you don't like me, but like I don't give you very many middle options, right? And if, I'm, if you do have a middle option, you just stay away. Like that's just, my personality is just too strong, right? You either like black coffee or you don't like black coffee. You're not neutral on black coffee. Homeboy is coffee, right? My wife is vanilla ice cream. Who don't like vanilla ice cream? Like, like you don't, you I don't know. You have Satan if you don't like vanilla ice cream is what I think. Okay, sorry. That was inappropriate. That was way too extreme. I'm just saying, like, everybody can get down with, like, waffles. Who don't like waffles? Right? So, like, I'm black coffee. 
Uh, my wife is waffles. Um, Barnabas is waffles, right? Everybody loves waffles because he's, and you're the one person who doesn't like waffles. And you're the jerk in our whole church. I just want to put that out there. So, somebody's going to go. <laughs> what did you learn at church? Uh, Barnabas is waffles. And everybody loves waffles. Uh, but that's, that becomes his name. So that, that's Barnabas. Barnabas is the one guy who looks at the one guy nobody thinks has any potential. And he's the one guy who says, everybody can be somebody. That's Barnabas. I'm just going to say, this world needs more Barnabi. That's plural for Barnabas. <laughs> right? Barnabases. Everybody needs more. This world needs more Barnabases. It, this world needs more Barnabi. That's what I think. Right? It's the one guy who said, I'll take a chance. What if Barnabas had never, there's no intervention. God never says anything to Barnabas. Like, how did they know to do this? You know what it meant? Barnabas went out of his way and approached. Uh, Saul, Saul don't know Barnabas. Bar, 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 Barnabas. Saul doesn't know Barnabas. Barnabas doesn't know Saul. Somebody took initiative to start a conversation and ask questions and become a friend and get to know him and find common ground and build a friendship on that. And open himself up to the other guy. Until there was trust in the relationship. Like any friendship goes. Now most of our friendships I think are accidental. This one was not. You become friends with the people you work at. It's not like you said, I want to pick the job that has the, hmm. Like that would be weird if like you stalked everybody that worked at companies before you applied at those companies. So you can get a job at those companies and become friends with the people you stalked. That would be very weird. Like if you're friends with people you work at, that was a very passive thing, right? Like you just happened to get a job there and you became friends with the people that worked there. That isn't what this was. And that's not what I'm saying we need. Anybody can do that. But I think those of us who are devoted followers of Jesus, when God starts working in your heart, you recognize opportunities to proactively develop friendships with people that you believe you can help and that people that you believe can help you. And that's what Barnabas did. If he had never done that, we would have never gotten the book of Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Titus, Philemon, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy. Two-thirds of the New Testament was written by a guy that would have never existed in the story had there not been Joseph of Cyprus who went out of his way to make a friend with somebody that nobody thought could be anybody. Right? So who's the hero of the story? You see what I'm saying? Is it the head or the neck that turns the head? Right? Like, the point is, every part, every person in the story was necessary to every other person's contribution to the story. Then Barnabas... Verse 27, man of encouragement brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Barnabas extended grace when no one else would. 
He spent time with Saul outside of church, developing a friendship that would end up affecting the direction of the church all the way to today. Which brings me to the first habit that you will start to see in your life if you start to see this attribute of encouragement become a part, regular part of your life. If you take the responsibility of helping your friends grow in your faith, it's the first thing on this card right here, and that is that you actively participate in a growth group. Now, now here's what happens next. After uh, Acts, chapter, uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 26 to 28, Paul and Barnabas both fall off the radar for three years. We know it's three years because of one of the other letters that Paul ended up writing that was inspired by the Holy Spirit and became a part of the Scriptures. Where he references this time in between being introduced to the disciples and the next part of the story where we're going to read. What's happening during those three years? We're going to find out in Acts chapter 13 that Paul and Barnabas are still together. In fact, they're bros. They got each other's back for life. How did that relationship develop? During those three years, the Bible doesn't tell us much about this, but you start to see after this, before those three years, the Apostle Paul was black and white. I either hate you or I love you. I'm kicking you to the curb or you are my best friend. No middle ground. Like Paul had no grace, no mercy, no compassion. An unbelievably harsh and driven man. Barnabas, on the other hand, is the complete opposite. He's the most encouraging, affirming, warm, compassionate guy. The Apostle Paul is a theologically trained mental giant. He's referenced by people who aren't followers of Jesus as the one who was trained at the feet of Gamaliel. And, and Gamaliel's dad ends up starting a, the Hillel, which is, like I believe it's still in existence. It's a, it's a, it's a Jewish uh, group of scholars that like you are a scholar of scholars of scholars. And it was like it's like it's a very, very elite group. And it was Gamaliel's dad who started that organization. And the Apostle Paul was was like it's it's like the Illuminati almost, right? Like and the Apostle Paul was being mentored by the founder's son, no doubt to eventually be inducted into that same society of of influencers. And that's like he scripts like he was he would have had, to be in this council, he would have had like the Jewish scriptures memorized by heart. Like he's a theologian. So you get this timid, not timid, but this compassionate heart guy who at the end of chapter 13 is now making theological defenses of actions that they had taken in the name of Jesus. And you see Saul becomes this guy who's a nurturer and encourager and a guy who's finding other guys to mentor. What you see is before nine, before chapter 9, these guys have completely different skill sets. And then after chapter 13, you see that they have both moved a little bit this way. The only way that could have happened is if these guys were in an intentional kind of relationship where they were helping each other grow in their faith. So this guy brought something to the table that this guy needed, and this guy brought something to the table that this guy needed. And I don't even know at the beginning, they based the friendship on, what can you do for me? Well, here's what I can do for you, and what can you do for me? Here's what I can do. It wasn't like that. It's that these two guys intentionally worked on a relationship that mutually benefited each other and helped them both become more like the person God intended them to be. Then we find them in Acts chapter 13 after they've been hanging out for three years together. And it says in verse 1, 
Among the prophets and teachers of the church of Antioch were Barnabas, Simeon, called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Menaean, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, and Saul. And, and here's what I love. Uh, the church of Antioch is, is actually one of the healthiest churches in the first century. And, and they had, they had Roman, Romans, uh, Jews, Greeks, uh, and, and, and Africans. All in leadership in their church. And I, I have, like, that's kind of cool, right? Like, did you know that about it? Uh, and that's, that's this church. Uh, but, but Saul and Barnabas were both now elders in, in this church. One day, as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I, I have called them. Uh, why, why them? Because those dudes were, were bros. Like they, I won't say they're a package deal, but the Holy Spirit recognized that out of the elders of this church, that these two guys were mutually beneficial toward each other, and that together in this friendship group, both of them would do a whole lot more for the glory of God than what either one of them were capable of doing on their own. So I don't care what you call this. At Grace Church, we call it a growth group. My dad's church, they called it an ISI group, and it stands for Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron, ISI. So it's, it's a group of two or three people who intentionally meet together once a month to keep each other from falling off. Like, like we need that. Like if you're in a life group, that's awesome. You get to, you get to talk about what you're learning here on the weekend. You, you, the, the weekend's teaching gets to have teeth like, like in your life. And it, like you, you, you get to f- figure out ways to actually apply the weekend's teaching. But it's this, you can quit a life group. But you quit this friend, this friend comes after you. Like, that's what a friend does. And this is nothing that Grace Church can assign. We don't match you up for this. I don't say, okay, well, fill out this survey about yourself. And we're not like a, like a growth group match.com. It doesn't work like that. Like, you need to find a Christian friend or two that you respect, that you feel comfortable enough meeting with once a month, to have conversations about things that you might be embarrassed to have in front of people at work. Like that's a side of you at work that you're not going to give access to everybody. But you do need a friend who's going to ask you about your marriage. If you're single, you, you, you need a friend who's going to ask you about your sexual habits. Like that sounded weird. Sorry. Just how you doing, right? That kind of a thing. I, I've, I've had this. Uh, in, in, in my life. Um, uh, I got a picture of the two guys that I still have this with. So this is us in college. Uh, this is uh, me in the, in the middle. And, uh, and here's the funny thing. It, don't, don't laugh. Because when I look in the mirror, I still think I look exactly like that. Isn't that funny? Uh, and the guy on the left is, is Danny Crawford. The guy on the right is, his real name is Daniel Garcia. Uh, we call him Paco. Uh, has nothing to do with his ethnicity. That's a lie. It did. Uh, yeah. Anyway, but that's, that's Dan- Danny, Danny and Paco. Uh, and and they're, they're my, my two uh, best friends. And uh, even now, we're in a Voxer group to get to an app, like, like a WhatsApp, right? Uh, but we, we, even this past week, uh, we, we talked back and forth. And since I was uh, nine, 18, Danny Crawford, the guy on the left, and I were roommates. And uh, we actually got in 
probation from college and never allowed to be roommates again. That's a true story. And that's all I'm going to talk about that because it's, um, you know, God forgave me. So, right? And he didn't hold it against me, so I'm not going to give you any extra stuff to hold against me either, all right? Uh, but Danny Crawford's a guy in the left, left hand, and, and Danny, we're, we're peers, but we're, we're in this growth group together. Like, Danny, like, we ask each other, like, you still reading scripture? How's your marriage? How are you doing on the internet? How are you doing with your finances? Now, I, I know other things about them that I ask about. Like, one of them has a very complicated relationship with his father. He wouldn't tell you about that. He wouldn't tell his life group about that, but he'll tell me. And the truth is he needs to tell somebody about this because somebody needs to come back to him every once in a while and say, are you and your dad good? Why not? And we just talk. I don't tell him what to do. I'm not his boss. I'm his friend. But I'm a friend who's following Jesus with him, and we need each other. Danny's a pastor. The guy on the left, the guy on the right used to be a pastor. Then he resigned, and now he sells modular homes, and he's crushing it. So now both of us as pastors are asking him to support our churches. That's not just kidding. We're not doing, oh, I tried. Actually, no, I didn't at all. So I just wanted to make that joke. Um, but Danny on the left almost quit. And he called us and he told us he was about to quit. And the other two of us were like, why? Like, is this from God or is this from discouragement? Are you making this decision based in fear or pride? And it was in one of those, and it's none of your business which. Because you're not that friend. And when we recognized that this couldn't be a decision from God because it was either based in fear or pride, we said, you need to hang on until you get out of this funk and then you decide about it, right? And he's still a pastor to this day. Like, that's a growth group. That's what it is. It's two or three friends who just keep each other going. That's, you have to have that. If the apostle Paul needs it, bro, you need it. You've, you've got to have it have it. Uh, we cover questions like, uh, has, has God's present, how has God made his presence known to you this week? What is God teaching you? How are you responding to what God's telling you to do? Is there someone that you need to talk to about your faith, somebody that you need to reconcile with? Is there any sin in your life that I can help you with or pray for this week? And they can be as specific as they, or as generic as they want. If they're generic, we don't, we don't pry. We, we respect each other. But that doesn't mean we're not going to ask about tough stuff. The relationship between Paul and Barnabas uh, grows sideways a little bit uh, because when they're sent out, they take a guy named John Mark with them. He's Barnabas' nephew. Barnabas wants to take John Mark with them. Uh, so they start going throughout the Roman Empire, starting churches, talking to people about Jesus. When they start turning from sin to begin following Jesus, they put them together in weekend gatherings to talk more about Jesus and to do more good in the world. And we're still doing that exact same thing. Uh, talk about how to keep following Jesus and do more, more good in the world. Halfway on this trip, John Mark gets homesick. And he goes home. He quits. It's, it's sad uh, to them. Uh, then they get done, and they, want, they come back to the church of Antioch to kind of say what's going on. And uh, then they're about to leave again. And Barnabas says, hey, uh, John Mark wants to go again. And that's the next verse. And that's in uh, Acts chapter 15, verse 36. Uh, after some pa time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit uh, each city uh, where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark. But Paul disagreed strongly. Since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work, their disagreement was so sharp 
that Paul and Barnabas separated ways. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Not surprising since that's where what? He was from. He's going to go back to the place where he grew up and give them an opportunity to turn from sin and follow Jesus. Paul chose Silas, and as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care, and then he traveled throughout Syria and Cilicia, uh, strengthening the churches there. Um, their growth group, though, had, had and by the way, it ends well between them, and we're going to get to that in a minute. But as they were helping each other grow in their relationship with God, they became the kind of people that recognized other people need these kind of relationships. So Barnabas says, I'm going to grab John Mark. Paul, who would have never made no time for nobody before Acts chapter 9, has now grown in his relationship with God because of the spiritual strengths that Barnabas had. And instead of going on alone, he chooses Silas to go with him. Uh, Paul takes Silas, and over the years, Paul keeps adding to that group. And we see uh, the kind of relationships that Paul has with these guys. He takes a guy named uh, 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 Demas and Artichicus or something like that. And like, there's like, like 13, 12, 13 different names of different people that Paul had these type of mentoring relationships with. Uh, you can read more about it in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5 through 8. We're not going to read it for the sake of time. But that brings me to the second thing that you can start doing to develop the habit of helping friends grow in their faith, and that is that you pursue mentoring relationships. A mentoring relationship doesn't happen on accident. Uh, it's an intentional friendship that has certain agreements and a common uh, un understanding. Uh, Paul and Barnabas, growing in their relationship with each other, recognized uh, that they needed somebody who was farther ahead of them to, to help them continue growing. And they also recognized that they needed to make sure and keep a hand behind them and pulling that next generation with them. And the truth is, if you're going to be this encouraging person who helps other people grow in their relationship, you not only need to be in a relationship with peers who are running with you, you also need... Uh, uh, people who are running ahead of you and people who are behind you. You need a hand up and a, and a hand down. Even the Apostle Paul kept going back to the church of Jerusalem, which was not the church that he was a part of, to confirm that the things that he was doing was right. You need to find other followers of Jesus who are wiser and farther along in life that you can keep checking in with to find out if the things that you're doing is right. If I had not had people in my life like Kenny Gilming, I would not be a pastor today. If I had not had the kind of mentor that my dad has become to me in my marriage, I would not be married to Billy Jane today. Like, I need people who are farther. I cannot tell you, when Billy Jane was going to leave me nine years ago, our church is 13 years old. Do the math. Since starting this church, I almost lost my marriage. And that's nothing I can get up on a Sunday and tell everybody that my wife wants to leave me. But it was still happening. I got to have people I can reach out to and say, help me. I'm dying. Right? If I don't have those people in my life, then I die. My marriage falls apart. I lose my kids. I stay dysfunctional in my other relationships. And I ruin my life. You have to have this. You have to have this. And then once you come through all of that crap, 
2 Corinthians chapter 1, 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in the middle of all of our sorrow, so that when we are comforted, we can comfort others with the same comfort wherewith we were, where, wherewith we were once comforted. Why do you think I have that verse memorized? Because <laughs> it was the only thing that was keeping me hanging on. That God was going to use even this crap for something good later. Right? You need, sorry, when you start talking about bad places in your heart, you can remember what that feels like. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, sorry. <coughs> Woo! That was a tense part. We got to wrap this bad boy up. You get that though. You need a hand up and a hand down. You get that? Paul had his, it was the elders in Jerusalem, and he had like 12 or 13. That was his, that was his hand down. Who's your hand up? I've got my dad. I've got Danny Crawford. I've got Kenny Knott. I've got Steve Stroop. I've got James T. Roberson III. I've got Ron Sylvia. Who's my hand down? I've got Taylor Knott. They're in Braintree. I've got Stephen Sargent, Ricardo Simon, Moses Hayward, and a whole bunch of other guys in my radical mentoring group. If you're going to be this kind of person, this brings me to the last thing, then you're really going to have to offer unlimited grace to your friends. The beauty of this story is that Paul and Barnabas don't end on a bad note. Paul learns the value of intentional spiritual friendship, the value of mentoring, and the value of unlimited grace. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, this is the last verse we're looking up. Timothy, uh, Paul writes in first, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9 through 11. Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus has gone to Dalmatia. And those two guys hadn't walked away from the faith. They had just gone and he, he, was, he was discouraged. He was alone. Uh, verse, verse 11 says, only Luke is with me. Look at the next phrase. Bring who? Who does Paul later on in life ask Timothy to bring with him? Bring who? Bring Mark. It's the same guy, John Mark. So he starts, he, it was John Mark at the beginning. Toward the end of his ministry, they just start calling him Mark. He's the guy Barnabas's nephew who writes the gospel according to Mark, the second book in the New Testament. And Paul says, bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in ministry. Paul goes from this guy is worthless to this guy is indispensable. What changed? Time and his heart. How had Mark become so valuable for the sake of ministry? You know how? Barnabas. Barnabas kept offering unlimited grace to a guy that the Apostle Paul had no need for until God can continue working in John Mark's life to change him into the kind of guy that people say he's just Mark now. And then Paul says, I can't do ministry without him. Barnabas didn't give up on Mark. And the truth is, Barnabas, Paul had forgotten, was the only guy who hadn't given up on him. Take Joseph from Cyprus out of the story and the entire world becomes a completely different place. And we would not have two-thirds of the Christian New Testament. You don't need to be a pastor to make a difference in the kingdom of God. You just have to be more intentional about your friendships. So who can you begin meeting with on a regular basis for spiritual growth and friendship? Who's one or two 
Same sex, same gender, because some of this stuff gets complicated. If it turns romantic, it gets weird. You need somebody, right? But who's it going to be? Pick two or three people that you can start meeting with once a week. If you go to our, our app, it's, it's thatsgrace.org slash growth groups. It, it, it gives you the questions that you can ask each other to just keep the conversation going if you don't have them memorized. Read scripture to, get, to decide. Let's read the book of Galatians this month, and let's meet up at Taco Bell next month, and did you, did you get anything out of it? And Just start a spiritual conversation. Who can you ask to mentor you? Where in your life right now do you need the most mentoring? Who can you mentor? And who do you need to show grace toward that you are beginning to give up on? God took a chance on you by giving you grace, and now he's asking you to take a chance on someone else. You are who you are today because God brought someone into your life, and I don't think those are the last people he's going to bring into your life. The people that are in your life now, the choices that you've made were perfect to get you where you're at, but it isn't everything that you're going to need to get you to where you're going. So if you need to go farther than where you're at, find people who've been there who can coach you to it. That's why the scripture says the old men ought to be teaching the young men. The older women ought to be teaching younger women. We have an opportunity coming up. Uh, I'm in a mentor group with uh, once a year with 10 or 12 guys that are about 10 to 15 years behind me. Um, I've been doing this with married guys only for the first three years. This last year, I did a, a married guys mentor group and I did a single guys mentor group. We're actually open to the idea of asking more people to be these kind of mentors. Uh, and, it's, and it's a very nervous thing for me to put this out there um, because there are some very unaware, unself-aware, <laughs> sorry, that sounds weird. Um, there are people, how do I say this? If you feel you have something to bring to the table because of where you're at in your relationship with God or what you've been through, I'm just asking you to share that. On the communication card, write just a little bit of your story. This is what I've been through. This is, what, this is how I feel I can help. Because there are going to be people this weekend who write on a card, I need help with what? You have people struggling with addiction. And you've already gone past that. Like God rescued you from addiction. Like you were in the streets. You had more needle marks than friends. And now, by the grace of God, you have something that somebody else here needs, then I don't know how to connect you. Some of you just need to put it out there. That's all I'm saying. Put on your communication card, drop in the basket. Tell us who you are. And if you're a person in need, if you're going through a hard time, if you're going through a divorce, there are people that have been through divorces here. They're on their second or third marriage. And this marriage, they're crushing it. And you just need to have coffee together. We're happy to make an introduction if that helps you. But what I do know is that you have something to offer too. Let's pray. God, I'm thankful for your love and the way that you use every good and bad thing in our life to help us to become the person you've always intended us to become in this life. God, to help us to find friends that we can actually open up to and meet with on a regular basis and have spiritual conversations. Help us to be willing to mentor others or to be mentored by others. And God, please help us to start showing the kind of grace to others that we have received from you. That is our prayer. We ask this in the name of Jesus, and we all say together.